Lamentations, um, written by the prophet Jeremiah, and uh, just like the title of it says, he was lamenting some things. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, and, uh, and he had some things to be weeping about. He was a patriot. He loved his nation. He loved his people, the people that God called him to, and uh, uh, to preach against, even when they did not appreciate him. He loved God. And, uh, and had a very broken heart for his people. In fact, Lamentations is written in kind of a, um, a Hebrew-style poetic form. Uh, chapters 1, 2, and 4 all have 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66 verses, like three of those put together. And, and, uh, and, and, and it kind of follows this style, this flow. And there's a great sadness coming from the heart of this weeping prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet of God, uh, to God's people, and he would challenge them to seek the Lord while he may be found. That was his heart, that was his message, seek God while, while we have a chance. Seek God while he still can be found. And uh, I love that passage because if it says that, seek the Lord while he may be found, apparently he can still be found. And there's still a chance to repent, and there's still a chance to turn, and this was the heartbeat of this prophet. And his message was, come back to the Lord, live for him, uh, we're in trouble if you don't. That's what the book of Jeremiah was about. The earlier parts, he was warning his people. God had some things against Israel and some, some areas of concern and some warn, uh, warning against them. And, and in Lamentations, some of those judgments had now come to pass. And he's, he's lamenting uh, the judgment of God. And he's lamenting the heart of Israel. Israel had gone through this split kingdom, of course, uh, by this point, and uh, uh, many uh, bad decisions of wicked kings. And Israel had fallen to the, uh, to the Syrians. And Judah had gone away from God, and they fell into idol worship, and, uh, and they had not kept the Sabbaths, and they had not acknowledged the Lord, and they had gone after Baal. And when you look at the book of Jeremiah, all these things against them over and over again. God gave them prophets, and they didn't listen. God sent messengers to declare his truth, and Jeremiah saw God's judgment coming. Saul uh, saw, saw was coming. It was given to him, trusted to him to, to warn the people and he had a great desire to warn them. <laughs> it had been in his prophecies. And here in Lamentations, he begins to preach with tears running down his face. He was so broken that they wouldn't hear his message, and they, they persecuted him, the messenger. At one point in Jeremiah's ministry, he, uh, they, they, they locked him up and put him in shackles. And he basically, in essence, said to God, Lord, if this is how you treat your servant, I'm not going to preach anymore. And that famous passage in Jeremiah where it said, but his word was like a fire in my bones. He, he could not but preach out the word of God, even if they rejected, even if they put him in stocks. And, and he was so broken. By the way, Israel had a habit of treating the prophets like this. Uh, in fact, there were some compromising prophets, some that would tell the people what they wanted to hear, not too far different from today. I think about that one king, prophet. And all these prophets said, uh, you know, uh, said, uh, well, here's, you know, here's what they're saying. He said, is there anyone else that we can inquire of the Lord? Oh, well, there's one other guy, but I hate him. <laughs> he never says anything good. And he says, let's hear what he has to say. A challenge and a struggle. The last king, Zedekiah, he also did not fear the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar came through during the, the night and came into Jerusalem, and he found Zedekiah. And he took him outside, and, and what the king did, uh, the king of Babylon did to Zedekiah is he, he brought children before him. 
And as Zedekiah was there bound, uh, one at a time, they brought his children before Zedekiah and killed his children right in front of him. And then to make sure that would be the last thing he ever saw, they gouged out his eyes, forever embedded in his mind. Thing he'd ever see. They took him off to Babylon to be a spectacle, and that's the beginning of the captivity. That's in uh, 1 Kings 25, if you want to read out that story. They put him in these shackles, and they headed on the journey back to Babylon, about a 600-mile journey. Years later, they came back to Jerusalem. By the way, this is the time of the captivity when they took uh, the book of Daniel, the beginning of the book of Daniel. They took Daniel. They took all the, all the best, the brightest young people, and the healthiest, the strongest. And what was left behind in Jerusalem were the weakest. What was left behind in Jerusalem were parents with no kids, were widows, were ones that didn't really have much left because they didn't have anything to offer the kingdom, and so they were left there. So years later, they come back to Jerusalem, Babylon that is, and they come to destroy the temple, come to destroy the house of God. They, they burned down the beautiful city of God that repre you know, represented God's people in that temple, that represented God's glory, and they come back, uh, and, and, and this is what was done. And now, now Israel, uh, Jerusalem is in shambles, horrible problems, difficulties, poverty, goes on and on. The city was in this horrible condition, and he looks at it, and he sees what he had preached about coming to fruition. He sees the result of his message. He sees, he sees what God had, had foreshadowed and forewarned with them and broken with what he saw in his nation. So he laments. Now, he doesn't lament like you and I are so good at lamenting today. We take to social media and we lament all of our government's problems and all of these different things going on. And No, he, God inspired lamentation. As he laments before the people, the broken heart of God through the prophet. So he really gives about five messages that are broken down in these four chapters. Chapter one is where he cries out, is it nothing to you all who pass by? Are you not paying attention? Do you not see what's going on here? Chapter two, he gives a second message. And, and in chapter three, there's a little ray of hope that starts to peek through. Now I want to say this. We, we, we've, been, we've been living through some kind of confusing days recently. What's going on? What's, this isn't making much sense, right? The beginning of this pandemic, it, it was definitely politicized. No matter where you stand on, on, on what your feelings are about it, about the vaccine, about all these different things, it was definitely politicized. There was definitely some things tossed around. There was definitely power grabs going on. There was definitely corruption that had been exposed. There's all this stuff going on. In our nation, we're, there's talk of rigged elections and stolen elections and, and, and all these things. There's, there's record uh, low unemployment and, and low gas prices, followed by high unemployment and skyrocketing gas prices and inflation going all over the place. Then after a 20-year war and an investment in a country, we, we leave like cowards. We leave like losers, leaving many behind. And, and I, I can't tell you how much counseling I've done over the last several weeks of guys I served with uh, who, who, who are, are just coming to me saying, did we do it for nothing? I spent three tours over there. I lost friends. One of the soldiers that I trained and, and kind of helped shape, uh, uh, he died over there in a helicopter crash. And we think, was this for nothing? And it's, it's lost. And, and, and there's so much confusion. And what's going on in the world? And, and then there's talk of, uh, it's really getting into some conspiracies, the Great Reset. 
You know, the Bible talks about the Great Reset. And now we're thinking, are these end-time events starting to unfold before our eyes? Are, 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 are we in those pre-end-time days? Are we, are we, is the stage being set? There's just confusion, and there's, there's, there's concern. And for those of you who are, are in your Bible, and then you look at society, you turn on the news, and you, and you kind of see what's going on, it's very easy to begin losing hope. And many Christians, I believe, are in this place right now. Where's the hope? What are we going to do? In chapter 3 here, we see a little ray of sunshine, one of the most precious portions really of the Bible, and a passage that tells us really a formula for hope, a formula how to keep the perspective right, how to, how to have hope where all seems hopeless. It's interesting, we, in chapter 3, Lamentations 3, read the whole, uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I just kind of want to point out some things, all these negative words. Look at uh, verse number 1. I am the that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. What are some negative words there? Let's have some feedback this morning. What are some negative words there? Affliction, wrath, even rod. What's the rod? It's to carry out this wrath, if you would. Verse 2, he had led me and brought me into darkness and not into light. What's a negative word there? Darkness. Surely against me he has turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. What's a negative word there? Against. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. What are some negativities there? Old and, and broken bones. Verse 5, he hath builded against me and compassed me with, with gall and travail and, and all these negative, heart-wrenching words of what, what he's experiencing, what he's going through. Jump down to verse number 15. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. Can you imagine breaking your teeth with gravel stones? I mean, this is how he's describing what he's going through here. And, and uh, this, is the, the, uh, you know, this is the heart of the prophet, this weeping prophet. Verse 17, thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. He says he's so far away from peace, it's not even, it's not even on the horizon. I forget prosperity. And I said, in my strength, and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and humbled in me. That means it's lowered him, it's brought him to a low position, a ray of sunshine. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope. In the middle of the darkest, most difficult time this day in this preacher's ministry and the people who he is trying to minister to, they had gone through heartache. They had lost their kids. No doubt every family had experienced uh, slain in their family, death come to their family. The beautiful temple of God and the beautiful city of God are now broken down. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates are all burned. All the misery, all the bloodshed. And here's what he says. He says, but some things I recall in my mind. Therefore, have I hope. I want to share with you in these brief moments the formula for hope this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Ask God's blessing. Father, you are the God of hope, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble that we with the comfort you comfort us with might be a comfort to others. Lord, how can we do that if we've lost hope? I pray, Father, that you would restore our hope, restore unto us the joy of thy salvation.
renew in us a, a fresh vision and clarity of the God that we serve. And with great confidence and boldness, may we hold, uphold that light in a dark and dying world. Help us, dear God, speak to our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope is a future expectation. Hope in the Bible is different than when we talk about hope in our life. We, when we talk about hope, it's like, uh, it's like I've got my fingers crossed. I hope this happens. I hope I win the lottery, right? But the hope in the Bible is talking about an expectation, a future expectation, something we're looking forward to. In fact, in Titus 1-2, the Bible says, The hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You see, I've never been to heaven. I've read some things about heaven. Read what the Bible has to say. I've read a little about it. And what I read, I like. I want to go there. I don't know a lot about hell, but I've read some things about hell. And from what I've read, I, I don't want to go there. And quite frankly, I don't want anyone else to go there either. And that's why I want to warn, and that's why I want to tell people. I'm hopeful for eternal life. Hope keeps us going. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. You want to have someone's heart faint? You want to have somebody quit and give up? Defer their hope. I thought this was going to happen. I thought it was going to work out. And hope deferred make it the heart sick. And I think of countless people that, that had, had great dreams and, and, and aspirations and a vision for a bright future as they're standing there at the wedding altar. And, 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 and what ended up happening was, was it did not work out the way they thought. And it went to shambles. And, and that hope deferred make it the heart sick. And, and, uh, and that, that, that marriage fell apart. I think about children bringing heartache to their parents and, and uh, all over the place. We can look at different things. I had great uh, hopes and expectations and, and I, I really thought things were going to work out and, and like what the life tends to do, it throws some curveballs at us. If we're not careful, hope deferred. Make it the Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. What do we do with this? When we talk about hope, this expected end, you know, you work somewhere with an expectation of a paycheck. I've got hope, right? I'm going to get payback for the work I've put in. In between paycheck and now, we live by faith. Faith in the fact that my, my boss is honorable and I'm going to get paid for, for the work that I've put in. And, and, uh, and faith is what we need now. Hope is what we look forward to. There's nothing good here in this text the prophets see at the present time. What he saw was affliction. What he saw was darkness. What he saw was difficulty. What he saw was no hope on the horizon. We're a people in captivity, and this is the worst of the worst that remains. This is now the slums, if you would, and that's Jerusalem, the beautiful city of God. But then he says something happens to him when he recalls some things to mind, it brings out hope in him. There's a reason for me to lift up my eyes beyond the here and now, to look ahead, to look to the future. By the way, everyone has burdens. Everybody has things that we have to go through and we're dealing with. Everyone has those days where it just seems like uh, the bird that's singing outside your window is a vulture. What do we do? Heartaches are no respecter of persons. They hit us all. Someone once said, if all our problems were hung out on, the, on a line, at the end of the day, you'd pick yours and I'd pick mine. 
If we were to take the time and just kind of go through the room and just everybody just share the worst thing you've ever experienced, the worst heartache, the worst difficulty, the worst trouble, the worst hurt you've ever experienced, just share one, and we'd go through the room, I imagine it would change our opinion of some people. It would, it would soften our heart a little bit. Wow, I had no idea that they went through that. I had no idea that they, that they lost their parents at a young age. I, I had no idea that they had gone through that molestation. I had no idea what they, they've had to experience and deal with that. And, and let me just say, we are all in this life, in this fallen world, have to deal with some heavy things. And hope deferred make the heart sick. And, and if we faint in those times, if we faint in those days of adversity, our, our strength is small. And so how do we strengthen this? And how do we have hope when it all seems hopeless? <clears throat> I thank God for his hope. I thank God for faith. Faith is trusting God enough to obey him. Hope is the expectation, the looking forward to what is going to be done. The, the Bible says the just shall live by what? Faith. Trusting God. One day our faith will be sight. Uh, uh, the Bible says uh, uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, now, now the remaineth these, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. Charity is going to go on. When we're in heaven, there's still going to be charity. But when we're in heaven, guess what? We need no more faith. Our faith shall be sight. We need no more hope because we're now experiencing the hope of our salvation. But charity goes on. And, uh, and, and we see this laid out. Uh, uh, what it is in the middle of this sermon that Jeremiah is preaching here, he shared that there was an encouragement to his heart in these dismal days, in these difficulties that he's facing. In fact, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his passions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. First thing we need to do when we're Needing hope, the formula for hope. Remind ourselves of God's mercy. He says, these things I brought to my mind, to my remembrance. I recall to my mind, verse 21, therefore have I hope. What are the things? The first thing he remembers that brings about hope, remember the mercies of God. He didn't get what he really deserves. That's the mercy of God, not getting what we deserve. Uh, uh, just, uh, uh, not just eternity, by the way. What do you and I deserve for eternity? We deserve the judgment of God. We deserve the wrath of God. Uh, that's what you and I deserve, and it's the mercies of God that withhold that. But not just for eternity, but I thank God for his mercy today. There's no shortage of mercy today. And I want to say this, the worst day that I face in this life is still better than I deserve. He is such a merciful God. By the way, we have no right to complain about anything. We think of the dark times and we need to remember God's mercy. He doesn't give me what I deserve. He owes me nothing and God is a very gracious God. And if you understand that, uh, a flat tire is a blessing. If you understand that, uh, an unexpected bill in the mail is a blessing. If you understand that you're not going to get what you deserve eternally, then whatever you've got now is more than you deserve. God is a very gracious God. Remember his mercies. One of the things that will return hope is to remember his mercies. In verse 22, it's the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. By the way, I've given God a lot of reasons to get rid of me. A lot of reasons. If I was God, <laughs> I would not put up with me. He is a merciful God. His mercy far exceeds my own. 
first thing we remind ourselves is that has been withheld from us. Second thing we should remind ourselves of is we remind ourselves of God's compassion. Compassion, one person uh, defined as love in action. It's not just saying, uh, it's not just seeing, saying, I know uh, you need my help, but then doing nothing about it. But it's, uh, it's seeing you in your state and, and stooping down to your level and helping. It's compassion. It's, it's put to action. It's, 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 my love is not just seeing you, but it does something about it. It's your hurt in my heart. See, God didn't just love me. He did something about it. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave his only begotten son, but, the, but God commended his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he displayed it. He said, because of my compassion, I'm reaching out to do for you what you could not do for yourself. That is the compassion of God. He's done that so many times. I've, I've messed up so many times. I've faced some difficult times, and I've experienced heartaches, and, I've, uh, and you know what happens? God's helped me. He has stooped down to my level, and he has helped me. Things I've fretted about, the, 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 day, the day comes, uh, that thing I was fretting about, and what happened? God just helped. God took care of things, and he, he helped me along. His compassions, they don't fail. God's never going to not help you. Show me in the Bible somebody that went to God for help, and he didn't help him. Coming to him with a humble heart, uh, 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 coming to him his way, and he, and he says, uh, Lord, have mercy on me. What does he do? He has mercy. He has compassion. We cry out to God, he helps us. His compassions fail not. Secondly, they're new every morning. See, what happened yesterday, God has a whole new reservoir of mercy for today. God has a whole new, whole new uh, set of compassion, uh, a set of mercies for us to, to, to live in today. God's still working, and I can't see him working. By the way, sometimes some of the best things that you can do is just go to bed. When everything's falling apart and everything's just, you know what, let's start a re hit reset tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. God's still working when you can't see Whatever you're going through, a difficult time, remember uh, these things. God is watching. He sees it all. God is waiting. He's not in a hurry. He's just on time. He's not late. We might think he's late, but he's not late. God's watching. He's waiting, and God is always working. We need to trust him. We, re we need to remember his compassion. We remember his mercy. We remember his great faithfulness. God wants God wants to be uh, appreciated for his faithfulness. You think all throughout the Bible where God, especially in the New Testament there, where, where God brings up this issue of, of, when you're, of those that have slidden away, those who have fallen away, how they were unthankful. I think we have the children in the wilderness for their murmuring and their complaining. What were they doing? They were challenging uh, God's faithfulness. They were saying, in essence, God, you're not faithful. And God destroyed more people in the Old Testament for murmuring and complaining about his goodness than for any of the other sins that they dealt with. You know, I'm not a great father. I'm not a great husband. Not like I ought to be. I want to be faithful. I try to be, be good in these areas. And, uh, but you know, there's something about just being told from my, my wife, from my children, you're a great father. You're a great husband. It just, it, it, 
that, what an achievement. What a, what, a, what, a, what a thought that is, even in my failures and my shortcomings, uh, to, to be seen in that light. And, and I just think about God, how faithful, how good he has been. I think of that song. Why don't you sing it with me? Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And I challenge you tomorrow sometime, get alone with God and talk to him about his faithfulness. Spend some time with him about how good he has been. God, you've been so faithful. When everyone else has walked out on me, when everyone else has, has failed me, God, you've never failed me. You've never walked out. He should be praised for his faithfulness. Every day the sun comes up, we don't think about it. Every day uh, we have blessings uh, upon blessing, and we don't even think about it. When all the word curse, world curses his name, we should be ones who bless his name. We should be a people that praise the name of God. Those things should never depart the, or leave the lips of a child of God. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 1, I'll praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Whenever you're going to go through, going through difficult times, remember his mercy. Remember his compassion. They're new every morning. He'll act on his love. Remember, remind yourself of his him. Look at verse number 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. His portion. That's a weird way of saying it. The Lord's my portion. Remember in the Old Testament uh, when they went into the promised land and they started dividing up the land and you had the two and a half tribes on the one side of the Jordan and the others came across and they started divvying up the land and, and it comes around to, uh, to the Levites and they said, well, where's, where's our land? And he says, oh, God says uh, he'll be your portion. Because the Levites, they worked for God and they represented God and they were actually scattered and they'd be Levites in each of the tribes uh, as they'd assist in the worship and they'd help out uh, in these various areas. And, and God says to them, I'm going to be your portion. I'm going to take care of you. You guys are going to exemplify faith to the people and, 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 and he would be their portion. And by the way, if everything I have is taken from me, everything I own is lost, if I go through a Job experience and yet I still have, I want to say this, I still have enough. God is enough. That's the portion. He is my portion. He's the only one who keeps me. Or it was told of this uh, young couple, a young family, a husband and a wife, and they had a little son. And his wife got sick and died, and, and the son and the father, uh, they, they kind of bonded over that experience. And uh, mom was really into art. 
And they kind of carried on her passion for art, and that was kind of a way that they connected. And they'd, uh, they had means, and they would travel, and they'd get these, these expensive art pieces, and they would go to galleries, and they would, they would, uh, they would just appreciate all this artwork around the world. And well, later, as the son grew up, he, uh, he served in the military, and he got called off to war. And he died. Now this father and husband had lost a wife, lost a son, and got so depressed, so discouraged, he stopped eating, stopped caring for himself, and eventually he passed away. He had no family to leave anything to, and so they were going to auction off his estate and all these paintings. And, and as people got word of this auction of all these famous paintings and all the things that they had, they, uh, they, they came far and wide to come and, uh, and auction, or to, to bid on some of these paintings. And, and as the auctioneer began the bidding, he said, uh, he said, I have instruction here that the first piece that must go is this painting that the owner himself did of his son in his military uniform. It wasn't a very impressive painting. It was, you know, obviously it meant something to, to the, the owner, but nobody else cared. Nobody else knew who this was. So they're sitting there. Can anybody bid on this? And, and it's just silence. Nobody says a thing. And it's like, well, we can't go on until this painting is sold. And, and finally, one of the servants of this, of this man was there, and he knew how much he loved the son. And, and he thought, well, I'll, I'll bid $15. And, and uh, he said, come on, $15 for a painting here. He said, said, come on, anybody else? Anybody else want to bid? And, no, and, and, and people started getting antsy and restless. And he said, would you just sell it already so we can get on to the good stuff? And so he says, fine, $15, going once, going twice. Sold to this gentleman back here. And just then he closes up his auctioneer book and starts to pack things up. And he said, wait a minute, what about all these other paintings? He said, I have instruction here. He who gets the sun gets everything. And he left it all to this man for $15. I don't know how accurate the story is, but it's so true with our father. He who gets the son gets it all. Formula for hope is, revolves around remembering, remembering the mercies of God, remember his compassion, remember his faithfulness, remember that he is yours, that he is your portion. You have access to the throne of God. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We get grace, we get mercy at this place, this throne of grace that we have access to because we have the Son. You don't have to get an appointment. You don't have to wait in line. He's always ready to hear from you. You know, that brings me hope. We not only need to remember some things that bring in hope, then we should require some things of ourselves. Verse 25, And the Lord is good to them that wait for him, the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear his yoke in his youth. See, not only do we need to remind ourselves of God, God's attributes and who he is in our lives and what he has done in our lives, and that restores our hope, that expected end, that he's not going to fail me. He's not brought me this far just to drop me on my face, that he's got a plan through this all. We should remind ourselves of some things, but we should also require some things of ourselves. You, you know, it's funny how many times um, people love to focus on the promises of God. You'll have a little devotionals, right? Uh, 365 days of promise. And you read through those, and it's promise after promise after promise, but you know what they're always missing? The conditions. What do I need to do to obtain this promise? And you're going to find the promises of God have, connect, have conditions attached. 
There are things that should be done. Listen, uh, there are things that that you and I, uh, God has some requirements, some expectations for us. And and yes, we should think of some things. We should contemplate. We should think on the Lord. But then we should, it should draw us to action. So there's some things that we should require of ourselves. First of all, you should require yourself to wait on the Lord. Nobody likes to wait. You ever notice that? I remember when I first came up here in the army, I came from Southern California, and, uh, and no one is in any kind of hurry here. It's ridiculous. It drove me crazy for the longest time. After I slowed down a little bit and I went back to Southern California, I couldn't stand Southern Californians. And uh, couldn't wait to the days where I got to go back to Alaska. I don't like to wait. I like to, to hurry along, and uh, I don't like lines. I don't like, no, we don't, none of us like those things. Over and over in the scriptures, you're going to find this concept that if you're going to have hope, it's going to require some waiting. Some waiting and some trusting. You know, our society, we've developed this pattern, this habit of, uh, of not waiting and not taking the time, but, but what do we do? Just immediate, right? We have fast food, drive throughs You don't have to get out of your car. Think of that concept, all right? We have credit everywhere, um, you know, as soon as you turn 18, you start getting all these offers. Good news. You've been approved. Wonderful. All the things. Play, play later. And this is how we kind of live life. We don't like to wait. But hope requires some waiting. It's that expectation. It's that future. Romans 8.25. But if we hope for that we not, then we do with patience wait for it. You see, Hope, biblical hope, requires awaiting. It requires patience. It requires trusting. We're not going to go to heaven today, but someday we will, so we wait for it. We call the return of Christ our blessed hope. He may not be coming back today. I hope he is, but someday he is, so we wait for it. I don't know about your problems, but God's probably not going to take you out of your problems, but rather take you through your problems as you wait. Take you through it. It teaches us to wait and, and how to wait. We wait hopefully. Hopefully, it, it says there in uh, verse number um, uh, 25, um, the Lord is good to them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good for man that he should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. We wait hopefully. We wait quietly. Quietly. You know when we're impatient, Usually our mouth goes into overdrive and our brain goes into neutral. And, uh, you know, we start complaining and we start talking. We start carrying on. We run to social media. We run to our friends. We run to all these things. And, and rather than stepping back and quietly taking it to the Lord, quietly coming to the one who can actually make a difference, quietly coming to him uh, with our care, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for you. We take it everywhere else. God tells us to quietly wait. We wait, hopefully, we wait quietly. What do you do when you're waiting on God? I think of that song, Are You Weary, Are You Heavy Hearted? Tell it to Jesus. I'm not saying we shouldn't share with others. I'm not saying we shouldn't get counsel or we shouldn't have people pray with us and for us. But, uh, but often the last place we go is the one who can actually do something about it. The one who wants us to come to him. The one who, who wants us to draw near to him in these times. We need to require ourselves some things. Require ourselves to wait patiently and, or hopefully and quietly. We need to require ourselves to seek the Lord. Verse 25, the Lord is good to them that wait for him, and the soul that seeketh him. 
We need to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There needs to be a seeking, a, a, a yearning for him. And by the way, when we're going through trials, and we're going through the difficult times, we need wisdom. We need some understanding. And if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. He, God wants us to come to him, to seek him. And uh, what happens when we get in these trials, if all we ever do is turn inward, or all we ever do is turn outward, and we never turn upward, we're never going to get out of it what we were supposed to have out of it. And like the children of Israel, when they came to cross the, 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 the river there into the promised land, and, and by, because they doubted and they, they didn't have enough faith and, and belief, uh, God had them go and wander around for 40 years until he brought them to that test again. And if we're going to miss what God is doing in our lives and taking us through it, what's going to happen? We're going to have to go around and take the test again. I missed it. I, I wasn't ready for this, and I didn't seek the Lord. And, and listen, God is working. He's doing something. There's a lot that we are seeking for. How do you know what it is? How do you know, uh, how do you know what it is that you're seeking for? Uh, well, really, it's simple. What occupies your mind? When you have a moment of downtime, when you have a moment of idleness, where does your mind run to? That's what you're seeking. Seek ye the Lord uh, while I may be found. Uh, here in our text, the soul that seeketh him. Require yourself to seek the Lord. Require yourself to spend time in his word. Where do we seek the Lord? We start in the word of God. That's where God has revealed himself to us. That's where God has shown himself to us. Uh, uh, the, the, the precious word of God. It needs to be dear to you. It needs to be near to you if you're going to seek the Lord. Though the pages are worn, though the cover is torn, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that shatters and scatters my fears. When I prayerfully look in this old precious book, my treasures and pleasures, many treasures and pleasures I see, my tokens of love from the Father above who is nearest and dearest to me. To this book I will cling, of its worth I will sing, though great losses and crosses be mine. For I cannot despair, though surrounded by care, while possessing this blessing divine. Seek the Lord in his word. Seek his, the Lord in personal time of prayer. If, the word, if God's word is him speaking to us, then our response, if we're going to have a two-way conversation, is us speaking back to him. Seek the Lord in prayer. Prayer is a private discipline. Prayer is you and God alone. Prayer is you entering into that closet and your Father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. And sometimes, uh, uh, you know, sometimes this real prayer, sometimes this real seeking of God doesn't really show up in our lives until we've really messed up. I need you. Many of us aren't, aren't willing to pray the price. We need the Lord. We should pray regularly. You'll seek what's important to you. Seek the Lord in his word. Seek the Lord in prayer. Seek the Lord in church. Seek the Lord in your giving. Seek the Lord in your witnessing. Seek the Lord on, your, on the job. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Require yourself to wait. Require yourself to seek the Lord. Require yourself to bear your yoke for the Lord. Notice what it says in verse uh, 27. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, when the evil days come not, you know, nor the years draw not, have no pleasure in them. 
The passage of Scripture, the prophet goes on and talks about what starts to happen as you get older and as you aren't able to seek the Lord. And so often we, re- we remember, uh, we say, well, well, one day I will seek the Lord, or one day I will serve God, one day I'll bear my yoke. He says, no, do it while you have the energy. Do it while you're young. Do it while the evil day comes not. And by the way, if we wait till we've made a mess of it, how much do we really have to offer God? I love the passage in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the to present your body a living sacrifice. Now get this, holy and acceptable unto God. You know what we tend to do? We tend to give them the leftovers. Once I've made a mess of everything, once I've ruined everything, then I'll turn to God and then I'll serve him. And then, no, 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 do it before you've defiled it. Serve him before you've messed things up. Stay on that track. Follow God, love God, live in his mercies, live in his truth, live in those, his compassion. Remember to bear the yoke for the Lord. Remember to keep going. There's stuff to do for the Lord. Serve the Lord today. I love what Jesus said. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is called today. Cometh when no man can work. And folks, we ought to work for the night is coming. Follow God's formula for hope. There was a poem when there was a great fire in Shanghai. and It said, tonight Shanghai is burning and we are dying too. What bomb more surely mortal than death inside of you? For some men die by shrapnel, and some go down in flames, but most men perish inch by inch in playing little games. I don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want to be guilty of playing games, playing with my Christianity, playing with uh, just the things of this world that just don't amount to anything, Uh, being distracted. I think one of the devil's greatest tool against the the Christian is that of distraction. There's just busyness. There's just stuff going on, and and it just pulls us away from the things that are are eternally important. Remember, folks, this life really is not life. This is the qualifier. Life is yet to come. Eternal life. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Start living your eternal life now. Require yourself to bear the yoke for the Lord. We ought to remember some things. This I recall to mind and I have hope. Remember his mercies. Remember his, uh, his uh, compassion. Remember his faithfulness. Remember that he's yours. Require some things of yourself. Uh, uh, um, hope in the Lord and quietly wait for him. Uh, seek the Lord and bear your oak. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28-30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, in Jeremiah's day, God challenged his people. He said, get back to the old paths. And he said, you'll find rest for your souls. And you know what their response was? We will not walk therein. And I think of Jesus in this wonderful invitation that says, you're going to find rest for your souls. And how many people say, no, we're not going to walk in there. And you wonder why we have no hope. You wonder why Christians are lacking hope. The most hopeful people on the planet should be the children of God. Folks, we have a book of hope. And yet what happens? We forget these things. He says, I bring these things to my mind. I remind myself of some things. And then I have hope. Folks, if you do not remember, you will forget. 
profound, right? If you do not remember, you will forget. And here we're challenged. Hey, we need to remember some things. Keep these on the front of your mind. Keep these at your attention. When you go to prayer, when you go to have time with the Lord, bring these to mind. God, you're merciful. You're compassionate. You're mine. What a, a few moments of prayer. As we uh, close up the service this morning, maybe you've been struggling with hope or a lack of hope. It's time to recall some things to mind. It's time to get back to the Word. It's time to seek the Lord. Maybe you need to renew your commitment to the way you think. Too often we get pulled into stinking thinking. 